God's word to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We'll read verses 24 and 25. Romans 8, 24 and 25. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Six times in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, you're going to find the word hope. I think that doubt is one of the greatest weapons the devil has in his arsenal. We know that he has many. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul would say that we need to take up the whole armor of God that we might be able to withstand the devil, the wiles of the devil, all the devices the devil will use to fight against us as Christians. And it seems that one of the ones that he uses against us is the idea or sowing the seed of doubt. Is there really a God? Does he really exist? Is there really a place called heaven? Is this all really worth it? Is all of the the things that I'm going through and suffering in my life, is it really going to pay off in the end? Teachers sow seed of doubt. Peers sow seed of doubt. Uh, Co-workers sow seed of doubt. They ask us questions and we're not exactly sure what the proper response is. And, And somehow, some way, the devil is to sneak his way into our lives and just plant a little seed of doubt here or a little seed of doubt there. I think it's one of his greatest weapons. I think he's on the attack with young people. He just wants to put a little seed of doubt in their minds, but it's not just young people. I think there are people who have lived their whole lives for Jesus and get to the end, and they they experience some moment of hesitation, some moment where doubt creeps in to their mind. And therefore, I think it is necessary for us to revisit from time to time this great theme that that we have visited a number of times over the last year. But I think it is good for us to revisit the idea of hope and to see what the Bible has to say about it. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as we define our word, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse number 14 and 15, Paul is speaking and writing this letter to Timothy, and he says, you know, Timothy, I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, these things I have written to you, that that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Paul says, I have a wish, I have a desire, and, and that is to come and see you. But Paul was human like you and me, and he says, you know what, life may get in the way of that. There's something that may come up, and I may not be able to make it there, but I have this wish, I have this desire, I hope to come to you shortly. But something may delay me. And for some, that is their working definition of hope throughout the Bible, as if that is the only way that hope is used. And we use it the same way, right? We we say we hope this and we hope that, and and we have really no way of determining uh, sometimes whether that's actually going to happen because... Well, life can get in the way, can't it? Those things happen. It's not because we don't mean well, but because life can sometimes get in the way. But in Romans chapter 8, primarily what we are dealing with, as Paul is speaking here in this great chapter, 
he is dealing with our better definition of biblical godly hope given to those who are saved, the idea of confident expectation, right? And coupled with that is the joy of knowing that one day we are going to be out of this life. Our bodies are going to to be uh, in the ground. It's all going to burn up and we're going on to be with God. There's a great joy in that. And the devil would do his best to rob us of it. He would do his best to cause us to doubt. The devil will do his best to cause us to question whether or not these things absolutely are so. And he would sow seeds of doubt. Tonight, I want us to be reminded that as Christians, we can have confident expectation. It is not my plan to take a long time to look at this text. Uh, I will not do it justice. There's a whole lot more we could say. But there are some, some words that I want us to think about tonight in connection to hope in this context of Romans chapter 8. I would have you start with me in chapter 8 and verse 1. Of all verses in Romans chapter 8, perhaps to you this is one of the better known. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What he's going to say about hope hinges on chapter 8 and verse 1, where he starts this and saying that there is no condemnation to those who find themselves in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, let me tell you who that is. It's those who are not walking according to the flesh, but those who are walking according to the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is perhaps the Holy Spirit Bible or chapter of the Bible. Uh, Here we are defining for ourselves what we're looking at when it comes to walking according to the Spirit. That is, those who are walking according to the will of God. Those who have taken their Bibles, understand what the will of God is, are doing their very best to apply it in their lives and to live according to the Spirit. To live according to the will of God. He contrasts that with those who are living according to the flesh. And he says that those who are living according to the Spirit, those who walk according to the Spirit, are those who find themselves in this state of no condemnation because they are in Christ Jesus. You see, we will be condemned or not condemned not based solely on on how good we are. All right, We, we better hope that's not the test when we stand before God. That Well, how good are you, Adam? I mean, how much do you deserve this? Because the answer is, I'm not good enough, and you're not good enough, and I don't deserve it, and neither do you. But in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, there is no condemnation. Doesn't your Bible say that? In Christ, there is no condemnation. And in Christ, therefore, there is hope. As we are striving to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, we find ourselves in Christ Jesus, having obeyed the gospel, and we can know that we are saved. There's confidence to be had there. And Paul is addressing that. He's reminding us that we don't need to be those who are living in doubt of whether or not we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven, but there is a way that we can have confident expectation of going to heaven to be with God. And in that context of Romans chapter 8, we find ourselves looking here at the word hope and four words that I want to bring to your attention. I want you to notice in verse number 14, Paul would say, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Again, we're drawing a distinction between those who are living according to the flesh and those who are the children of God. 
And to the children of God, he says, you all can know that you are in possession of hope, the confident expectation of one day you're going on to be with God. I find it interesting, therefore, that he connects hope with sufferings in this life. In verse number 17... He's speaking to those, again, who are children of God. And in verse number 17, he says, And if children, then heirs, your heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Confident expectation is found here. This idea is found even in a context where he says... You're going to suffer. You know, it's in times of suffering that the devil can do his greatest work, isn't it? It's in times of suffering where he can do his greatest work of planting seeds of doubt in our minds, even as God's people. Is this really worth it? Do I really need to suffer through this? Do I really need to go through it? Is God really there? Is He really listening? Does He really care? And we're bombarded with these questions that come into our minds, perhaps. Here, Paul combines the idea of hope with the idea of sufferings. Now, that's a funny-looking S on the back of that word, but I put it there on purpose. I want you to know that he doesn't just say suffering. He says sufferings. He makes it plural. And I think it's there on purpose, don't you? He's not saying you're you're, going to find yourself maybe not just going through a, a little tough stretch, but maybe several tough stretches. Maybe you're going to suffer some here, but you're going to suffer some more later. He says, I'm not hiding this from you. I want you to know that life isn't going to be easy. I want you to know that you're going to suffer. There are going to be some difficult times that are brought into your life. There's so much good that can come from this. But understand that as we suffer, we are simply living out what Jesus lived out. Jesus didn't come and live an easy life, did he? He said, we are partakers of the sufferings of Christ, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, as we suffer. Now, I would remind you in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, there are two and only two roads that will lead you uh, in this life. Ultimately, there are two destinations. And he says, one of those roads happens to be kind of wide and easier, right? It's not as difficult, it's broad, and it's easier as you navigate your life, but it leads you ultimately where? Destruction. But he says there's another road, but it's narrow and difficult. He doesn't hide it. right? He, he lets us know. It's narrow and it's difficult and many are going down the broad way and the easy road and, and it's narrow and difficult and fewer people find themselves on it, but ultimately it's where? To life. It ultimately leads to life. Now, I want you to think about this because this is important. In this same verse, in verse number 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall one day be revealed in us. I want to remind you, my brother and sister, friend, that suffering in this life does have a limitation. Paul says that we are going to suffer in this present time. Sufferings have a limitation. They are limited to this life. And that's what he says. Because we're going on. And if you find yourself in Christ where there is no condemnation and you are in possession of hope, I have good news for you, he says. Suffering is only here. 
And then it stops. And then you get to go and be with God where there is no more. That promise is not made to those who are outside of Christ. That promise is made to those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. Now, before I leave this point, I want to say that verse number 18, it, the way it starts, we need to just consider for a moment. And that, that is, Paul says, I, I want you all to know that I've considered this. I, I've considered this, that the sufferings in this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall one day be revealed in us. I've given this thought. Well, of course he's given it thought. You've read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You've read about the life of Paul. You've read about everything that he experienced simply for being a Christian in this life, right? You've read about everything that he endured. And Paul says, I've considered this. You know, I've weighed this out in my mind. Is it really worth it? Well, of course he would have done that. Is it really worth it? Should I really be suffering the way that I'm suffering? Should I really, it seems like to me, over and beyond go through what I'm going through for the cause of Christ. Should I do that? And Paul says, I've considered it. You want to know my conclusion? It's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. I'll suffer whatever I need to suffer because I know that it doesn't even begin to compare with the glory that's awaiting me. I want to be reminded of that, don't you? That... We'll suffer in this life and and we need to use those opportunities as moments to draw ourselves closer to God and to God's people. That that these are opportunities to embrace and understand that that God can use this for me in my life to grow stronger and perhaps one day that's an opportunity for me to help someone else going through the very same thing and we can look at this in very positive light. But understand at the end of the day, it's going to stop. We're going on to glory. Glory. Paul was confident of that, wasn't he? You don't sense uh, any doubt in his mind. I am going on to glory. He was in possession of hope. He found himself in Christ where there is no condemnation. You find yourself there tonight, you can have that same confident expectation. The sufferings you're enduring, one day they're going to be over. And no matter what the devil throws at you, we don't need to have doubt in our minds God is going to take us to be with Him when sufferings in this life are over. Now, in verses 19 through 22, I want you to think about the word deliverance. We find it here. Uh, Creation in this context is personified, uh, given emotion. And here Paul speaks of creation uh, longing for the day when Christ is revealed, when hope is revealed. Uh, He is looking here at a time of harmony. Now, understand again that one day creation is, in a sense, going to be delivered. You know, creation, God created this world for us, and He created it in a perfect condition, didn't He? He put God, or God put man in the garden to tend and to keep the garden, and it was perfect the way that that God made it, but everything changed when sin entered the world. And then in Genesis chapter 6, you have the flood and the upheaval of of the waters from underneath and the waters from above, and it changed the earth. It changed the layout. It changed the landscape. It changed how the earth was was functioning in a very real way. I heard a creation scientist say that the earth is still recovering from the flood. Still recovering from the flood. 
When sin entered the world, uh, this world is one day going to be burned up. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It's going to be dissolved with a fervent heat. But Paul says in a very real sense, that day is a day of deliverance for creation. Well, in a very real way, we need to understand that as Christians, we have been delivered, haven't we? In a real way, already, we have been delivered. Paul has already talked about this back in Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, where he says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You were delivered, he says in verses, verse number 17. You, you were delivered from your sin. If you turn over to Colossians chapter 1, and just think with me about this for a moment. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing this letter to Christians. And he reminds them there in verse number 5 that these are those who have hope laid up for them in heaven. That they have obeyed the gospel and are in possession of hope. And then he connects it to deliverance over in verse number 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Hope is connected to deliverance. Our deliverance as Christians has taken place already from our sins. Through the blood of Christ, not of ourselves, but through the blood of Christ, our sins are able to be forgiven. We can be delivered from our sins. But again, Paul says that there's coming a day when we're going to be delivered, when we're going to go on to be with God. Those in possession of hope have that confidence of one day being delivered. In Romans chapter 8, we go back now to verse number 23, and Paul brings into our context the word adoption. Those who have hope have been adopted into the family of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 23, and he connects uh, adoption to the idea of our bodies being redeemed. We as Christians have been adopted into the family of God. Throughout that context, we already looked at verses 14 and following. He calls Christians sons of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. The church is called His household in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. The church is called His household uh, over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 19. Many of you are familiar with the situation, but I heard it illustrated this way once. He said a, a husband and wife were unable to have children. And so they decided to go the route of adoption. And so they began to fill out the paperwork and go through the process and and uh, were able to adopt a child. But through the process of filling out the paperwork, she became pregnant. And so uh, when the adoption was finished, uh, she had given birth, and now they have two children. And someone walked up to that mother one day and said, how many children do you have? She said, I have two. They said, well, wasn't one of those children adopted? And Which one was it that was adopted? And the mother said, I don't remember. I don't remember. Is that true? You think she didn't remember? I mean, you think she didn't remember which one of those children she carried inside of her body for a period of nine months? 
You think she didn't remember which one brought her uh, excruciating pain in childbirth? I think there's absolutely, she knew which one of those was her children. But what was she saying? They're both equally mine. Isn't it amazing that God looks down on me and you, imperfect as we are, and He says, they're mine. They're equally mine. I've adopted them into my family through the blood of my Son. Because of what Jesus did, we're able to be adopted into the family of God. And we, because of that, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. One of the greatest spiritual blessings that we have, of course, is the forgiveness of our sins. One of the greatest spiritual blessings is that now we find ourselves in Christ, which brings on no condemnation, which allows us to be in possession of hope, confident expectation of going on to glory, to be with God. We can know it. I'm not making this promise. God is. I'm not making this up. It's in your Bible. He's adopted you into His family. You are one of His children. You can have confidence that when this life is over, you're going to be with Him if you are being led by the Spirit, walking in the light, as it were, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, as you find yourself in Christ, striving to be faithful to Him, and to do His will. The final word I want you to think about tonight, we find in verse number 25. Paul, in verse number 24, as Brother Terry read for us now several minutes ago, Paul says we're saved in this hope, this confident expectation. As we find ourselves in Christ, we are saved. But he says hope that is seen is actually not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? Uh, Hope is an interesting thing because hope isn't something that you can go to Walmart and puck off the shelf and take it home with you and look at it. Uh, Hope isn't something that grows on a tree that you can walk by and pluck it off and examine it for a while. Hope isn't something that you can see. And Paul says that's a good thing. Hope that that can be seen is actually not hope. He, He said one day it's going to be seen. One day it's going to be realized. Why does one hope for what he can see? I hope one day to have a new car. Well, that, that's realized when I get a new car. And it's no longer hope, right? But the hope, the confident expectation of going on to be with God. He says you can have that confident expectation that you can go on and be with God. That's hope that one day is going to be realized. And that's what he's talking about here. But he says in verse number 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We eagerly wait for it. It's the reward that's out there. Contrary to what some would have us believe or want us to say or admit, the Christian faith is not blind faith. It is based squarely in evidence. We stand firmly on promises that God has made. And if God says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, take it to the bank. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. 
If He says that you who are in Christ have been adopted into My family, that one day you will be delivered, that there is no suffering. We long for that. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance, He says, with patience. I want you to think about that particular phrase because there are too many, even Christians, who are going through this life and they're just marching out time. They're just sitting around and waiting to die. They're just sitting around and waiting for the the day that their heart stops to beat. And they're just kind of marching time, going through the motions of life, and they're just kind of waiting for it to be over. There are others who are going through life and they are sitting down and they are sulking. God, I am going through all of this suffering. And listen, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it or say that 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 shouldn't exist in your life. I'm simply saying that if we are really confident and expecting to go on to be with God, we can endure. And that's the idea of this word perseverance or patience. Endure. With joy, knowing that we are on our way to glory. Knowing that the sufferings of this life are simply leading us to glory. Knowing that every day that I get up and every day that I go to bed and every day that I go through the motions of life, it absolutely could be my last. But when it's over, I'm going to be with Him. I will persevere. And so tonight I conclude with those words in Hebrews chapter 11 where we get this picture of great perseverance, of great patience. And it is seen in Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to notice with me, beginning in verse number 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Yes, he was going through life and he was obeying God. But notice where he's thinking. Notice where his thoughts take him. In verse number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But listen, they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. And God is therefore not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. The confident expectation, no hope is not mentioned there in that that chapter, in those verses we just looked at. And yet it's all over them. The confident expectation that Abraham and those with him had of going through this life, obeying God, but always thinking about the heavenly country. Always thinking about where it was leading them. Knowing with confidence that God had made a promise to them and God was going to see them through it so that they could make it to the end. Yes, the devil will sow seeds of doubt in our mind from time to time. But the Bible reminds us that we can be filled with confident expectation one day of leaving this life and going on to glory to be with God. My friend, there is therefore now no condemnation. You won't be condemned if you are in 
Christ. Did you know that there are exactly two verses in the Bible, in the New Testament, that tell us how to get into Christ? There are two verses. In Romans chapter 6, we read uh, that verse, I believe it's verse number 3, where it tells us that you're baptized into Christ and there have the benefits of His death. But it's connected to baptism. Baptism puts you into Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, in verse number 27, it's the second time that we find the phrase or uh, phraseology into Christ. And, and again, it's connected to baptism. Baptism is what puts you into Christ. There's no other way to be saved than God's way. You're not going to enter into heaven because you deserve it. You're not going to get there because you've earned it. You're not going to get there because you're good enough. You'll get there because you've obeyed God and been washed in His Son's blood. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, if you don't have hope in your possession, if the devil has been using his arsenal against you and you've been allowing it, and you still belong to Him, well, I see no better time than right now to respond to the Lord's invitation to come to Him in faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, giving yourself to Him, leaving here with confident expectation of going home to be with God when you're, when you're done in this life. If you have a Christian, as a Christian, have wandered back into sin, and tonight you need to repent of such, or maybe you're here tonight and there's a special need in your life. This would be a great opportunity for you to respond by coming to the front and letting your brother, brethren know how we might be able to pray for you. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, won't you please come now while together we stand.